Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Lonnie Shipman continues sharing what God teaches us about music. Each year, SWRC presents its prophecy calendar. This special resource benefits you and the prisoners we serve through our Onesimus Prison Outreach Ministry. This year, the calendar is truly spectacular, with stunning pictures from the Holy Land and added bonuses that I know you'll enjoy. Southwest Radio Ministries creates this unique calendar filled with scripture, comfort, and inspiration from God's Word. We also partner with each of you who purchase a calendar to encourage prisoners in our Onesimus prison ministry. For every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. Order your calendar and encourage a prisoner. Calendars are ready to ship today. Order yours when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Friends, what does God teach us about music? Let's find out together with author and musician, Lonnie Shipman. Does music have a moral character? What does creation have to do with music? Well, friends, you will find fascinating insights and launch out on an exciting journey. As you look at music and the Bible, you will learn how all creation praises God. Lonnie Shipman, author of Heaven's Orchestra, is back in the studio with me. We're going to continue our previous discussion. Lonnie, thank you so much for being on the show once again. It's a great honor to be here. We may have some pastors listening, and of course, you come from a pastor's family. And today, I think in many churches, you know, because we have different age groups and people with different backgrounds, we have worship wars. Some want the hymn, some want contemporary, and that, you know, as a pastor's son, you know that unity of the body is very, very important. What advice do you have to pastors, maybe to music directors, maybe to uh, members of a praise team to kind of lower the <laughs> the temperature, sometimes the animosity that often grows over the matter of worship. And I think worship's the time when we're together, we're worshiping God, we're loving one another, and yet the devil has got in there and kind of divides people, and some people hear some things and they, oh, I don't like that. Brother, I mean, this is a big question, <laughs> so I'm asking you, and I'm sure those who are listening want to hear your answer. <laughs> well, Dr. Paige Patterson, who was formerly president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, thought it was unusual that I would actually venture to talk about worship because many people are afraid to. <laughs> I personally believe in being consistent and being conservative or biblical with our worship all the time. I do not see any any reason we should mix the world with godly music. And that's the big distinction I think that we have. And now I'm not against new music at all. I even write music, I arrange music. And so I'm not against any kind of new music, but I have to be careful that the music in style, as well as the words, are always honoring to God. Yeah. Now this is why I have distinctions with much of the praise and worship music of today, because they specifically copy worldly music, especially the music of the Beatles. That's where it came from. And the Beatles said, we are anti-government. Yeah. 
And so they, they were more communist than anything else. They were anti-government. They said we're also anti-music. We're going to destroy every section or every structure of music. And their own manager said there's not a more anti-Christ group than the Beatles in the world. And they are the ones that the praise and worship teams follow, the Beatles structure and the Beatles style of music. I thought, this is strange that the most anti-God of all the early groups, it's not the current rock and roll, I understand. They're, they're using older rock and roll, but specifically anti-Christ versions of older rock and roll is what they specifically copy in praise and worship. And so I do not feel connected in any way when I hear this music. It does not draw me emotionally in, and I feel it's too worldly to use in church. I come from a Reformed Presbyterian background, and a group of us, the Covenanters, they sing only the Psalms. They don't want to sing Amazing Grace, even though it's a wonderful thing, and they don't want instruments. Tell us about soul psalmody. Is there anything wrong with the hymns? I didn't agree with that. I mean, some of the hymns are so wonderful, I think, for Amazing Grace. And what about musical instruments? Even some of the, the groups, I think I mentioned it was the Church of Christ that I knew. They didn't have a piano. Somebody gave them a piano. They put a piano in the sanctuary. This was up in East Tennessee. When they came there Sunday morning, where's the piano? They looked down the hill. It was in the creek. <laughs> so what's wrong with instruments? What do uh, people have with instruments? Well, you just asked really two questions. First, about psalmody. Now, I'm all for psalms. I'm not against psalms right. at all, of course. Mm-hmm. They sang psalms in the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. But then Paul mentions specifically there's three kinds of music to use in church, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I explain in the book what those are, and I'm all for using all three. Paul used all three. Jesus led a hymn. If Jesus can lead a hymn, why can't we have hymns today? I don't understand this. Now, we know John Calvin specifically said we're only going to use psalms, but John Calvin also followed the Catholic forms of liturgy. And so we don't have to do everything John Calvin said just because he did this. Do we have to turn Catholic or something? Anyway, it's, it's a little crazy. He also did not allow instruments in his church, which is odd because some of the people that followed him were wonderful instrumentalists who were not allowed to even use that. But then others who sang psalms also did allow instruments, just at that time, over Zingley and others. It was a mixture of opinion. However, I believe it's okay to use instruments, but as long as they're honoring to God. And I myself play the piano and a few other instruments too. I play about 10 instruments. I played often piano, organ, trumpet, violin, several in church. So I think it's honoring to God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. In the future, we know the instruments are used. We do not know if they were used in the church age. There's a big debate about this. I do believe personally they were used because within 100 years after the church was founded by Jesus, we have people using instruments we know of. Specifically, there, for instance, there inference, someone is named Ephraim using the harp. And so we know specifically he used a special, extra-large, professional harp leading singing, Ephraim the Syrian. And so some of these people did use instruments very early. Right. However, they were expensive, so not everyone had the money to always go and buy a golden, a silver trumpet or something and use it at home or a harp. They may not have the money. And many people at the very early years were being persecuted. They were meeting in caves, meeting out in the woods. They couldn't necessarily carry their instruments with them, and they were on the run literally for their life just to serve the Lord. difficult, yeah. I've often wondered about music in the first century. You have a picture of you holding the um, Oxyrhynchus Papyrus 1786, the world's oldest hymn. 
And I believe you said they had notation. Tell us about what music was like, say, in biblical times, in the times of the New Testament. When I was younger, of course, studied music, uh, we talked about, and uh, I was taught that they did not know at first. They discovered Greek music, but did not know how to play it or how to read it. But by the time I was at Oxford right. doing a special study with the oldest, the largest papyrus collection of Bible manuscripts in the world, the Oxford Records Collection, at the Sacro Library of Christ Church College of the Oxford University, while I was there, I said, oh, no, we can read it now. And it's even been published. So I have, I didn't actually put the photograph of the, I took a photograph, even the music. Right. I don't have the music in there, but we can sing the music and you can look it up. Uh, that particular song is in the key of G and it's a Mixolydian. And so it's interesting. We can actually sing through it in the Greek, the Greek words. Right. They only have one verse of that song. It's missing another verse. I think maybe about salvation. We're not sure, right. but it, right. there's missing a verse, but it's wonderful to see that it's a about God creating the world and about the Trinity. Wow. Yeah, you say uh, several early church hymns have been discovered from the 4th century and onward, but the oldest Christian hymn ever found is, quote, the most ancient piece of church music extant, and it is called the Oxyrhynchus Papyrus 1786 Church Hymn, with musical notation. Was that Aeolian mode or? No, it was Mixolydian. I, I mentioned it in the book exactly which modes. It was a special kind of Mixolydian, it's basically hopper. It was a wonderful thing. Dr. Durkle Bank, head of the Christ Church College study there, the Papyrus Collection, he was a close friend of my brother. And he, through him, I was able to go and do this study and take my niece and nephew with me. We were there basically all summer studying these hymns. They had also other early copies of the Bible wow. from the 200s, can you imagine? Sometimes a page or two of the Bible and papyrus. So it was wonderful to be able to read these things. And while I was there, I also read the scholars' material themselves mm. of what they said about it. And then I had copies of this, so I put it in the book. Because it's good for us to know as much as we can about the beginnings of music so we can continue on conservative biblical music today. Right, right. Are certain harmonies certain melodies more godly than others. I'm thinking of some of the Reformation hymns. Somebody said, well, that used to be a drinking song in the tavern in downtown wherever. I don't know if that was true or not. But is there something about music itself apart from a text, a sacred text or a non-sacred text, something in C major, something in A minor? Is one more sacred than the other? Is one more suitable to something than the other? There is no one certain note or chord that's ungodly or, or more spiritual than another. In the same way, there's no one certain letter of the alphabet that's, oh, you've yeah. got to be careful of this letter, A, B, C, D, whatever letter, that's better than another. But you can put the letters of the alphabet together and make curse words or read together the most sublime words of God and the Holy Scriptures. You can do the same with music. There's no note or chord that's by itself evil, but they can be put together in the series to make them very worldly or to be beautiful, honoring music to God. So it's not necessarily the notes, it's how they were used. And so we had to be careful. Now, I would not want to use something specifically worldly in the church. I would not take a song used in the nightclubs, used when they're drinking, and bring them into church. And they specifically did not do this. They've been accused of doing this. I do not know of one case they have a drinking song in church. However, they did have some songs that were popular songs. In the same, we have songs that we've known, folk songs throughout the years. For instance, The Bear Went Over the Mountain or something like this. These songs everybody knows. And they sang them everywhere. So some of these songs that were folk songs were sung in taverns. Taverns where they would drink and eat. 
But they taverns were not always places that would just go get drunk like a bar today. Right. Sometimes the taverns were actually places where they would go and they'd stop and spend the night and they would eat a meal. It's not a nightclub atmosphere at all. It's actually where they take their family to take them to eat dinner. And even today in England. So it's not that kind of atmosphere. And so they did use some of the same songs, but they were basically popular folk songs, not drinking songs. You conclude the book. It's titled Music from Outer Space, Bringing in the Whole Universe in This Musical Praise of God. How does outer space sing? And for the scientists out there, is there scientific proof? NASA themselves had recorded these sounds, right. and it was freely available on their, on their website. That's where I got the sounds right. for the DVD we produced. They produced them by satellites passing by, picking them up. Sometimes they can hear them louder when the plasma is escaping certain planets, basically almost like fire shooting out of the planet. They can hear that better. Sometimes the sounds are very low sounds, sometimes very high sounds. So sometimes they had to speed them up or slow them down. Some of the sounds they actually sped up as much as 40 or 57 octaves. I think it is the lowest notes they ever had in the world or in the universe. But they can hear these sounds sometimes lower than our hearing range, and they sped some of them up to our hearing range. Others are in our hearing range. All these sounds, though, they notice are singing in a major key, are singing in harmony, similar to our kind of traditional classical music would be today. I would have imagined it would have been random, almost like white noise or background noise, but it's not like that. The sounds produced by NASA in data sonification, it's beautiful, actually, and sounds a lot like music. It's really amazing. That's fascinating. You talk about godly music, and you talk about Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Let me read Ephesians 5.19. We touched on this before, and, and maybe I should read 19, 20, and 21, because it's the whole context. Okay, Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, there's music there. There's mutual submission. There's thanksgiving. Boy, that is so rich. But I think it also is based upon the earlier verse, verse 18. Read verse 18, too. Yes, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Wow. Yes, I believe that. See, we're not to be filled with worldly things, such as wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit and God's presence is on you, then you immediately respond with a song in your heart, and you're thankful, and you're submitting yourselves to those in authority. You speak about evil music. And on page 50, you refer the reader to Exodus 32, and you talk about Moses meeting with God, receiving the Ten Commandments. The people rebelled against God, worshipped the golden idol, committed immorality, and produced evil music. Was there something evil about the music itself, or was it the setting, or why is it evil? And, and you're referring on page 50, I believe it is, where you developed that whole idea. And of course, it was in a context of rebellion, in a context of, well, just anti-God, rebelling against God, in what consists the evil of it? Well, I think that we have several examples in the Bible of evil music, 
and people that are just honest will admit there's such a thing as evil music. Of course, this is a golden calf, and it says that in this passage, the people were singing and dancing, and then they became naked, and they rose up to play. And then we don't know how evil it became, but there was idolatry and many other things, obviously very evil. Then you have later, you have the orchestra playing with Nebuchadnezzar's statue, yeah. and they wanted to bow down and worship and pray, and then the three Hebrew children would not do this on the fiery furnace as a result. This was obviously evil music. Later, Salome was dancing before Herod and demanded the head of John the Baptist. I cannot imagine Salome dancing to some Christian song and getting the head of John the Baptist. It had to be something evil and worldly. had to be very sensual for her to demand something like this. So she obviously was doing something sensual or worldly. What you say it composed of, that can be different opinions, but obviously there must be some sensual music and there must be godly music. Anyone with common sense can see this. Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew Eva's wife, and she conceived, and so on and so forth. And then it goes on and speaks about the music that was there way back then. Going back to Genesis 4, that's quite early. So I'm thinking, in the history of mankind, and God even made note of it in the Word so that we would understand it, this goes back to the very beginning of God's creation, and there is that thing in music. It could be good or it could be bad, and so many times it's used for evil. Jubal was creating instruments. He created, the Bible says, flutes and harps. He's yeah. also the, the traditional inventor of the trumpet. And so we don't know for sure, but he was creating several instruments. All music history buffs believe, all experts believe, people created instruments because they were already singing. And so they wanted to accompany themselves in singing, maybe playing, of making a little flute out of a reed or something natural and discovering something. Jubal must have been extremely musical to not only sing, but to create several instruments to go along with his singing. And then his brother was also someone who did metalworking, it mentions in yeah. the passage. Maybe they were already making metal instruments, such as trumpets or something. We don't really know. But they came very early by the time of Adam's grandchildren. If they could sing, why couldn't Adam and Eve already sing? Yeah. Since they could do everything else, why wouldn't they have sung? I'm sure they would sing in the Garden of Eden. And they're teaching their children as they taught them other things. Why wouldn't they have taught them about music? So they probably were at least singing from the time of Adam and Eve on. Men have always sung. So probably they were singing, and then they were creating musical instruments by the time of Adam's grandchildren. Is there a place for a Christian young person to develop his or her skill in classical music? What kind of advice would you give a young man or young woman who wants to play Beethoven and Mozart and wants to be a, you know, like you are, you play praise music. What would you tell a young person who, who feels like, well, I'm not quite with the music scene. A lot of those people are, quote, weird because they don't believe the Bible. They, you know, and yet they have a desire to glorify God with their musical abilities. What would you tell them? That's a wonderful question, actually. I think that God gave us these gifts and abilities to go as far as we can to serve the Lord at the very limits of our abilities. In other words, we should not just hold ourselves back. We should try to go to our full potential and give our very best to God in music, whatever it might be. So if it's piano or violin or singing or whatever instrument it might be or ability you have, 
Train as well as you can. Go as far as you can. Now, sometimes we have teachers who are not even believers who teach us, and some of them are experts at what they do. I myself had some wonderful Christian teachers, and I had some unsaved teachers, and I had all kinds of mixtures of things, teaching in different varieties of philosophies. But I was there to learn music and to use the music for God. In my case, I learned to go as far as I could in classical music, and then I combined classical arranging with hymns. Because I found this a good outreach for the Lord, especially overseas. But God may be leading him to do something else. I know another young man who himself went to Curtis Institute, number three in the world. And he was going to Eastman, couldn't afford it, but he went to Juilliard, number one in the world. And he studied both places, a great pianist and violinist, leads music for a large church in Chicago. And so some people feel led to serve in ministry, or maybe they're going to be a classical pianist or opera or whatever it might be. Whatever God leads you to do is God's plan for your life. But do as much as you can, go as far as possible, so you're equipped to serve God at your highest potential. Hearing sounds from outer space, scientists have discovered that stars can sing. When God created the earth and universe, he tells us in Job 38:7, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. What does God teach us about music? Find out in Lonnie Shipman's book, Heaven's Orchestra. In these pages, you'll learn about music in Bible history, music in church history, music in the ancient past, and music in the heavens. Order your copy of Heaven's Orchestra today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Does music have a moral character? What does creation have to do with music? You'll find fascinating insights and a surprising journey as you look at music in the Bible. Learn how all creation praises the Lord. Heaven's Orchestra by Lonnie Shipman. Heaven's Orchestra makes a wonderful Christmas gift, so order today when you call one 800 652 Greg Patton is here, ready to encourage us as we make our way living in today's world. Well, you certainly look good. You are more beautiful than I realized. Hey, been working out at the gym every day, understand, huh? You're looking pretty good. Think our culture is obsessed with external beauty nowadays? Oh, you know it is. As hard as we may try to improve that outward appearance, and we do, I was lamenting to my son last night, they've been jogging, so's my daughter. They're older, what, 30s, 40s, they're jogging up a storm. I used to do that until 2012 when I ruined my knee and had to have it replaced, and when you have new knees, you're not supposed to jog, so, hey, we all experience the effects of aging, getting there, this is sagging, and that's drooping, and my goodness. Far more important, however, is that inner character, the beauty of the inner character, which lasts into all eternity. What do you think one of the most attractive inward qualities is in a person? Have you thought about that? Many believe that it's kindness. It goes a long way, no question about it. People characterized by kindness are what? They're considerate, they're loving, they're tender-hearted, they're very helpful, they're gentle. You want to be around those kind of people. Those on the other end of the spectrum are quick-tempered, and they're bitter, and they're crude, and rude, and demanding, and you don't want to be around those people. 
Basically, the difference has to do with whether one's focus is on self or others. Is that right? It is. Self or others. God is characterized by kindness, is he not? Even to ungrateful and evil men, according to Luke 6.35. As Christians, you and I should be also putting on that attractive quality. From Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. We have the Holy Spirit within, and kindness is his fruit displayed in our words and actions. Authentic kindness does not depend on how others treat us, nor is it a manipulation to get what we want. A lot of people do that, including Christians. Kindness is a selfless quality. It really is. Always considering others and what's best for others, whether those people deserve it or not. However, some people think that not standing up for themselves and their rights is a real sign of weakness today. But the question might be, which takes more strength in the world today? To be kind when you are mistreated and lash out, and it's easy to do. We all think very highly of ourselves, and when we come under some form of attack, of verbal or otherwise, yep, I'm going to have my say here, put in my two cents. One purpose of God's kindness is to lead people to repentance, according to Romans 2.4, to get that person saved. Would someone want to talk to you, be around you, and be willing to listen to you share the good news of Jesus Christ? And more importantly, would they then go with you and accept Jesus Christ as Savior? When we display kindness in our lives, God can use us to draw others to himself, which is the whole goal, getting people to Jesus Christ. You and I both know as we read our Bibles that the Christian life is built around the concept of sacrifice. Jesus Christ, he left the perfection of heaven, imagine that, to dwell among a very sinful people so that he might reconcile us to Almighty God. He offered up his life for our sake, and as believers, we're supposed to follow him, his example. Paul called it a living sacrifice because it's ongoing and it's repeated daily. How are you doing in that? And of course, we know that Paul, too, lived in a time when sensuality, the pursuit of pleasure, rebellion against the Lord were prevalent. In response, he wrote letters urging Christians not to follow the ways of the world. Still need to hear that today. Like those early believers, we are to pursue godliness. Romans 12, good reading today. Presenting our bodies to God, we need to do it. Our total being, mind, will, physical body, personality, emotions, all we need to turn them all over to the Heavenly Father, James 4, 7. The Christian life built around the concept of sacrifice. Jesus Christ gave his life for our sake to make a payment for our sins, 1 John three sixteen, to bring us into the family. And as believers, we're supposed to follow his example. Living sacrifice? Life's full of options this day. Many decisions involve a choice between following God's way or your way. Maturing Christians? will increasingly sacrifice their own desires and embrace the will of God. A life of godliness characterized by a heart and a mind bent toward the things of Almighty God. What does God teach us about music? Find out in Lonnie Shipman's book, Heaven's Orchestra. In these pages, you'll learn about music and Bible history, music and church history, and music in the heavens. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order Heaven's Orchestra at our website, 
swrc.com. As we're getting closer to the Christmas season, be sure and visit the gift section of our website, swrc.com. Gifts from Israel as well as books and DVDs that will inform and encourage your family and friends. Visit swrc.com today. Tomorrow, Josh Davis will help us know the real Jesus. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app, by visiting oneplace.com, or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.